Well, how's that for a beginning, huh? <laughs> Welcome to Parkview. We're so glad that you're here. Glad you're here for this series. We're ending up the series at the movies. If you haven't seen the other weeks, uh, go back and check those out. I want to say hi to everybody who's watching online. Um, Gosh, this is a weird weekend for me, to be honest with you. Um, you may not know this. Some of you may know this. Some of you may not. Um, and if you don't, there's a video on our Facebook page explaining all this. But uh, this is actually my last weekend preaching here at Parkview. Uh, I'm going to be moving on to become the teaching pastor at Heartland Community Church in Rockford, Illinois, uh, at the beginning of October. So this is the last chance I get to preach with you for a while. Uh, so it's just been a great, it's almost been eight years since my wife and my family and I came to Parkview. So thank you all for your support. Yeah, thanks. It's just been really cool to be able to kind of grow in my uh, ministry here and have my family be so supported by the people here and be a part of all the, all the fun stuff that goes on. So if you would, pray for uh, my family as we make this transition, as we sell a house and buy a house and do all that stuff. Uh, speaking of families, uh, families are weird. No, wait, wait, wait. My family's fine. Your family is weird. Do you know this? All families are weird. And that's the interesting thing. If you don't believe that, let me ponder this for a minute. I'm about to use a movie about genetically engineered dinosaurs to talk about family. And I think it works. Um, that's how weird families are. I went online and did some research about strange family traditions. And this is one of the things that makes families strange. But I found, let's see if some of these may be yours. Number one is uh, there's one family where the grandmother actually charges the family for her cooking. So, you know, they'll get done with Thanksgiving and she drops a check on the table like, well, I expect a tip. It's Thanksgiving. There's one family where they actually leave beer out for Santa instead of milk and cookies. Super confusing to the kids, but mom and dad, big fans. There's one family where they don't put their teeth under their pillow when they're kids. They actually make the kids bury them in the backyard. <laughs> The tooth fairy is some kind of grave robber or something. The, my favorite one, though, is there is this family who, on Christmas Eve, they get together and they tell ghost stories. And whoever tells the scariest story gets to open their presents first on Christmas morning. Isn't that bizarre? Like they forget the whole fear not thing about Christmas. I guess they didn't catch that part. Um, families are strange. But I notice that all of those traditions, nobody who's reporting them is saying, yeah, and we're trying to fix that. All of them kind of own it. You're like, this is my family. Yeah, we're weird and we like it. I'm not trying to change it. And I think that's because all of us want to know that we're part of something bigger because there's something inside of us that wants to remember that we're a part of a bigger thing. We're not off by ourselves. Now, I get it, too. When we start talking about family, there's some of us here who didn't come from a strange family or an odd family with weird traditions. We came from a dysfunctional family. We came not from weird traditions but from drunken ones from silent ones, from passive-aggressive ones. And so that makes this discussion really hard. Some of us, our families are splintered. We're part of a divorced family. I don't call those broken families anymore because it's not broken. It can be fixed. We, maybe we don't, haven't started that. Maybe we're single and we're trying to figure out our way in the world and you know, our families are saying, when are you going to get married and uh, all that. So talking about families can be a very sensitive thing. And also, because we've seen not very many good examples of what a healthy family could look like, so all of a sudden we start thinking, well, where do we find an example of that? Ooh, I got it. Let's go to the Bible. Okay. Look at the family of a guy named Joseph in the Old Testament. Huge story. Takes up so much of the book of Genesis. Here's Joseph's story in a nutshell. His brothers, who he's been bragging to about how awesome he is, so Joseph starts bragging about how awesome he is, how he's going to be king over all of them. They beat him up because that's what 
older brothers do. They beat him up and they throw him in a well. They take his coat, cover it with animal blood, take it to their dad and say, yeah, Joe's dead. Sorry, dad, that's horrible. Then they go back out and instead of killing him, they sell him into slavery. How's that for a healthy family? Like, well, okay, so that's the Old Testament. Well, let's go to Jesus. Well, Jesus, at one point in his ministry, his family comes after him. His mom and his brothers show up at a place where he's teaching because they think he's gone cuckoo. And I can imagine the scene. Jesus is inside, and somebody comes in, and he goes, Oh, Jesus, um, wow, your mom's outside, and she's not excited. And your brothers are there, and they don't look too happy either, so I don't, you may want to step out and just kind of take, take care of that. And listen to what Jesus says. He says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Mom's in the room. How would you have responded to that? Not well. Jesus would have been grounded for months. Now, you can't ground Jesus. It just doesn't work. But man, eventually this all works out. You know, Mary's a huge part of the early church, and his brothers finally come around. But it's almost like Jesus is saying, look, family is messed up. I get it. And, and, and we even look at that and go, well, didn't he forget this commandment that's in the Old Testament that says, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. It's almost like Jesus is saying, one thing at a time here, people, one thing at a time. Because families are complicated. Families can be the most life-giving things we experience. They can also be the most damaging things in our life. Family can be our champions, people who support us and encourage us and engage us, but family can also be the people who stand behind us and shoot us in the back. So how do we talk about the importance of family? We're going to do that today by using the film Jurassic World somehow. Now, in this movie, if you've never seen it in Jurassic World, the basic premise is some very wealthy, scientifically engaged people decide to build a theme park and create giant dinosaurs in order for people to come and see them. Well, after a while, they start to get used to the typical boring old dinosaurs, and they start creating these hybrids, and they finally create one called Indominus Rex. Indominus Rex is made up of all kinds of different dinosaurs all mashed together, and he is powerful and giant and intelligent, and everything will go well as long as Indominus stays in his cage. Spoiler alert, does not stay in his cage. And chaos erupts and explodes. So how do you use a movie like that to talk about family? Well, this is how we use it. There are two pictures, I believe, in this movie that help us think about the importance of family. The first one is there are two brothers in the movie that are featured. There's an older brother who's really too cool for all this dinosaur stuff. He doesn't really care. He's really just there for the chicks. And so the whole time he's checking out teenage girls and he's not paying much attention. So that's the older brother. It's typical older brother stuff. And then there's this younger brother who is completely absorbed in dinosaurs. He knows all the details. He knows where they live. He knows how they died. He knows what they eat. He knows all of that stuff. And so they're sent to this theme park to hang out with their aunt who manages the theme park. But she doesn't have time because she's a workaholic. So she pawns them off on her assistant. And as the movie progresses, what you find is they get into more and more danger. And as they get into more and more danger, they discover something very, very important about family. At, some, at one point in the movie, they find themselves alone in the back of a truck. And they realize that they, each other, are all they really have to lean on and to depend on. Here's what that looks like. Take a look. There's one thing I know and I believe. And I believe that there is only one God who created all of us. And that means we're all children of God, no matter where we've come from, every tribe, tongue, language, and nation, which means we are all brothers and sisters. 
And because we're all brothers and sisters, we need each other desperately. Because if we're not all crea- if we're not all brothers and sisters, then there had to be two gods, one who created some people, one who created others, and I just don't believe that that's true. So all of us are in this thing together. If we're all children of God, then we all live under the same roof, and we all have the same kind of objectives that we need to be partnering together with, just like these two boys. And it's very, very intentional. At the very beginning of the Bible, this is what God says. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone, so let's find, I will make a helper suitable for him. God looked down at humanity and said, this was not meant to be a solo project because they're really going to mess that up. So he sends a helper. He sends somebody to come alongside because here's the reality. When life gets hot and heavy, when things get dark and dangerous, when a giant dinosaur is chasing after you, looking to devour you, you need someone there that you can lean on. You need a helper. And Jesus promised his disciples, he said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We need people around us, whether we're related to them genetically or not. We need people around us who will remind us that even when trouble comes, we can overcome. Because they're standing beside us. They're standing with us. They're engaged with us. And the Bible comes back to this over and over again. A hundred times in the New Testament, there's this word that appears. It's called alelon, and it just means each other. And so all kinds of discussions about faith happen around this idea of each other, one another, brothers and sisters. Listen to what it talks about. It says this in Galatians, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. In Thessalonians, it says, therefore, encourage one another and build up each other as indeed you are doing. And in Colossians, it says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. God designed faith like families to be a team sport. We were not meant to do this alone. We need our brothers and sisters, whether we're related to them or not, whether they're sitting next to us in this room or not. We need someone who will stand beside us and when trouble comes, remind us, all will be well. We will come through this because God has overcome. We need those people to stand beside us. And that's what healthy families can do. Now, however, I understand that a lot of you may have grown up with bad siblings. You know, you start talking about brothers and sisters, images come to mind. My dad, my aunts were horrible to my dad. I've heard some serious, the story that always struck me is one time they got him out in the yard, and there were three of them and one of him. They got him out in the yard, and they took a pasta strainer and put it on his head, and whatever hair stuck out, they cut it off. (laughs) So you can imagine he had like patches all over his head. He looked like a soccer ball. Now, granted, he had just kicked their cat off the six-foot-high porch, but we won't won't get into that one. Some of you I know have bad siblings. I get that. And maybe you're looking around and you're like, I don't know if I can trust my brothers and sisters in this room. I don't know that I can do that. But there's something that healthy families and healthy brothers and sisters can do for each other that's very, very helpful because there's some things that we share. Number one, we share a story. It could be a good story or it could be a bad story. We share this kind of story of where we came from and who we are and all of our weird little traditions. We share those things with each other. And that gives us the opportunity to help and stand beside each other in a very different kind of way. And even if it's a bad story, listen to what Paul says. He says, not only so, but we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame. On the one hand, siblings can make us suffer more than anybody else. But in Paul's language, that also means they can help us have more hope than anyone else. We share a story. 
with each other. And that makes each other powerful in this partnership. The other thing is, we know each other well. We know each other's hopes, each other's fears, each other's dreams, and that can either be a blessing or it can be a curse. Madeline Lingle, who's a novelist, talked about a dad who taught his son from a very young age, never trust anybody. And every time he would teach him, he would talk about people on the street. He would talk about other people in their lives. He said, son, I just need you to know you can never trust anyone. And so one day the dad comes home from work and he steps onto the the linoleum at the bottom of the stairs and the son comes down about halfway. And the dad says, son, you, you know what I've taught you your whole life, right? Never trust anybody. And the son said, yeah, dad, I remember. And he said, do you trust me? And the son said, yeah, yeah, dad, I trust you. And so the dad sticks his arms out and he says, jump to me. And the little boy with all of his energy and all of his strength pushes off and jumps. And the dad steps out of the way. And he crashes to the linoleum and the dad says, I told you, never trust anybody. And some of our families have been like that. He knew his fears, he knew his trust, and he could use that against him. But on the other hand, when God gets a hold of our families, whether we're genetically related or not, our tribes that we run with, whoever we are engaged with in relationship, when God takes what they know about us and uses it for our good, it can be an incredibly powerful thing, an incredibly powerful thing. Now, how does that healthy family possible? This is the amazing thing that comes out of Scripture. At the beginning, again, we talked about this verse where it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now listen, ladies, can, I want to talk about you guys for just a second. Is that okay? So a lot of people have used this verse to say, All right, God gave women to man to kind of clean up, to be the helper, right? You read in there, God said you need a helper. You need a servant, a second-class citizen. And that's the way this has been taken. But that's not the way that this word is used in the Bible. And this word has been used in the Bible to actually refer to God himself. And the word there is azer. Say that with me. Azer. It's a great word. And that word literally means warrior. Ladies, I got your back. It means warrior. So when God saw that we were helpless, he didn't send a housekeeper, he sent a warrior. He said, you need somebody who's going to link arms with you and fight alongside you. You don't need somebody who's going to clean up afterward. You need a companion, a partner. And it may not be a marriage situation, it may be a family situation, it may be a friendship, whatever it is, we all need an azer. Somebody who's going to link arms with us and say, no matter what comes, no matter what comes, We are going to face this together, you and I. We need that azer. We need that helpful person to stand in the gap with us. So do you have that person? Do we have that azer, that warrior that fights alongside of us? Is that person available to us? Have we found that relationship of that person who's going to stand beside us and fight when things get hard, when we struggle, when God says it's not good for you to be alone right now? You need a warrior beside you because Life out there is war. And it's different kind of war for all of us. But regardless of what kind of war it is, we all need a fellow warrior to walk alongside. But there's still this question of what makes that kind of thing work. And so for to do that, we've got to look at another picture of family. And this one I get is kind of strange, all right? This is the picture of Owen and the raptors. 
Owen and the Raptors. Owen is a, is a guy in the movie who trains velociraptors. Can we all just get over the fact that that's still the dude from Parks and Rec? Honestly, who's now training dinosaurs? Come on. He trains these dinosaurs to be docile, to be not, not control them, but to have a relationship with them where he influences them. So that instead of them killing everything in sight, they actually would stop and hold back. That they would be peaceful kind of creatures. So what the heck does that have to do with family? I understand, that sounds really weird. The, real, the reality of how this affects family is the fact that Owen calls himself their alpha. He is their leader. And not because they don't want to eat him, but because they respect him. This is not about control. It's a relationship of respect. And that allows him to do things that other people can't do with the raptors. Like this. Take a look. Okay, maybe not the best example of family ever. <laughs> But what's interesting about that is he has this influence over them. And so all of us have relationships in our lives that influence us, that change us, that move us in one direction or the other. When I was growing up, I grew up in a neighborhood of guys who were all older than me, six years older than me. And so I would go out and play sports with them, and I was always the smallest. I was always the most gullible. And I learned a lot of words way before I should have learned them. Let's put it that way. But they had an impact on me. And my, my whole way of seeing the world, my character, my soul, my spirit, all bears the mark of being influenced by those guys. What mattered to them began to matter to me. And for those of us who are in family relationships, whether they're genetic, whether we're related to them, or whether they're just our tribe that we travel with, all of us have an impact on the people around us. All of us have influence on the people around us. We lead them in a direction, one way or another. So whatever is valuable to us will become valuable to our families, to our tribes. And so when we start talking about healthy families, healthy relationships, the one thing we have to remember is the health of our family rises and falls on the health of our faith. And I don't mean that you can't have doubts. I don't mean you can't struggle with your faith. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that we are all on a trajectory. We're all headed somewhere. And wherever we are headed is going to determine the health of our families and our relationships. If you want to know where we're going, just look at who we're following. You know, for Owen, he wanted these velociraptors to be tame. He wanted them to be helpful. He wanted them to not be destructive anymore. And so he set up this relationship and they began to follow him. But on the other side, there are all these scientists, and they're all driven by money and more people at the park and more revenue. And so they just built whatever they wanted to build, and they built this destructive creature. And honestly, by the end of the movie, the only person left in the park is T-Rex. He's in charge. And I got to tell you, that only works out for one person, T-Rex. Some of us, our families and our relationships are on that same trajectory because whom we're following is not healthy. And I've seen fathers and husbands try to do that by force. And guys, come on. We don't lead our families by force. We lead by influence. And if we're going to lead by influence, what matters most is not who's following us, but who we're following. We don't do it by violence. We don't do it by command. We don't do it by force. We do it by influence. And so if you want to see where your family, where your relationships are headed, just look at who you're following. And that'll be a good indication. One of the great stories about that in the New Testament is about this guy who's a jailer. He's a jail prison guard. And one night, these two inmates are brought into his jail, a guy named Paul and a guy named Silas. 
And Paul and Silas have already been arrested and they've been tried and they've been beaten for teaching about Jesus. And so they're thrown into the jail in the evening. And when they get there, they start singing hymns. Now, I don't know how much prison experience you have. There's not a whole lot of hymn singing going on in prisons. And so the jailer at night is sitting there. And as they're singing, suddenly the earth starts to shake. And all the prison doors snap open. And this guy thinks, well, first of all, I'm losing my job. Because there's going to be a riot. I'm going to get fired. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then in those days, when prison guards failed, they didn't just go on, on the unemployment line. They were actually killed. So he said, well, not only that, I'm pretty sure I'm going to die. And so as all the doors stood open, he goes, guys, you all, you all still in here? And Paul says, yeah, still here. We were, we were kind of worried about you. And he's just overwhelmed by this event. And so in the scripture, it says this, at the same hour of the night, he took them and he washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. And he brought them up into the house and set food before them. And this is the important part. And he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. What he did was say, we've been going on this trajectory, family, for a long, long time, and I don't like where we're headed, but I saw this thing happen tonight, and I don't necessarily know what it's all about. I know that it has to do with this Jesus person, and he's very interesting to me. All I know is that here's where we were going. Let's not go that way anymore. All of us together, we're going to get on the same page, we're going to jump on the same page, and we are going to go in this direction instead. And he began to influence his family, and they changed the direction of where they were headed. This is who we are. And this is the message for us in that moment. All of us are children of God. All of us are adopted kids of God. We are all part of the family. When I got married, I, I got adopted into a new family. Now, some of you have bad in-law stories. I don't have those. My in-laws are awesome. And I don't know why. I didn't get to pick them. But they're awesome. And they adopted me, but I think I finally realized the reason why. The first Christmas I was there visiting with them, they said, hey, can you get that plate off the top shelf? And I'm like, yes. Oh, this is why I'm here, because they're all Lilliputian people. They're all about this tall. <laughs> but they took me in, and they, they, call, they called me their own son, and they treat me like their own son. And that's what God is doing for every one of us. And he's saying, now that you're part of the family, this is what we do in our family. We don't bury teeth in the backyard. Here's what we do. We forgive as we've been forgiven. We love one another. We love God with everything we have. We love our neighbors as ourselves. We give and it comes back to us. This is what this family looks like. Would you like to go in that direction? And so I, I just want to speak for a minute to some of us in here. A single person, where, where are you headed? Who are you following in your relationships, in your family? Dads, you want to be a better dad? You want to be a, a better husband? You can read a book, you can go to a conference, all that's fine, but the first thing that makes the most sense is for you to begin to follow Jesus. Take a different trajectory. Step into a different family and see how that family does things. Moms, if you want to be a better mom, a better wife, if you want to figure out how to better deal with those demon-possessed children that live in your home, the minions of the Antichrist who leave Legos strategically placed so you step on them in the middle of the night. You want to know how to handle that? Follow Jesus. Learn how to be peaceful and patient regardless of what's going on. Follow that trajectory. Step into that family and see where you may be headed.
Because honestly, the health of our families rises and falls on the health of our faith. People are watching us. Our tribe, our families are watching us. Where are we taking them? So at the end of the movie, of course, since it's a movie, everything ties up nicely. You know, the, the mom and dad of the one family were considering divorce, but, you know, once you get saved from a killer dinosaur, divorce ends. I didn't know if you knew this. Yeah, it just goes away. Um, the, the guy gets the girl. The, the kids are reunited. The aunt is no longer a workaholic somehow magically, and everything's tied up with a nice little bow, and everything's perfect at the end. But see, that's not how real life goes. So anything that I've talked about that in this message that you want to jump onto and start doing, just understand it's, it's work. Family is war out there, but it's work in here. And so any of this stuff that we're going to do in following Jesus and stepping into a new trajectory for our lives is going to take some time. It's going to take about six months before it stops feeling weird, honestly. But it's well worth it because of where we're headed and because what God is going to do with new families. I think we've spent too long waiting for politicians to redefine family for us. This is where it starts. This is where it begins, here and here, with our brothers and sisters in this room. This is where it begins. Amen. We were coming out of the Olympics, and I always love that the Olympics give us, uh, they give us great stories. And so one story that comes out of it this time around is the story of Abby D'Agostino and Nikki Hamblin. Abby and Nikki are 5,000-meter runners. If you don't know what that is, it's 12 laps around a track with internationally trained, excellent competitors. I don't know why they do that. They just do. And they, they compete for, for medals. So they prepare for years and years, and they compete in trials. And they earn their way to the Olympics. They pay the money. They get the shots. They, they go through all the rigmarole of becoming Olympic athletes, and they compete in these events. Now, when you have these big races where they're running multiple laps, the runners tend to clump up in the middle, and they get really close to each other. And so about halfway through the race, Nikki and Abby get tangled up in each other's legs, and they fall. Years of work. Years of sacrifice suddenly just falls apart in one second. And as Nikki laid on the track, she felt a hand on her shoulder. Now the seconds are ticking while this is going, and all the other runners are running away. And there's this hand that reaches down on her shoulder, and it's Abby. And she looks her in the eye, and she says, we have to finish this. And so she picks her up, and they begin running. And as they begin running, if you watch the video, you'll notice Abby is in no shape to run either. She's stumbling and bumbling down the track, and Nikki's got her arm around her saying, we've got to finish this, we've got to finish this. And they go side by side across the finish line, dead last, nowhere near the medals, nowhere near the accomplishment and achievement they've dreamed of, but they've finished and I think that the best thing we can do for our families is to be the kind of people, the azers, the brothers and sisters who will link arms with each other and say, I don't care what's happening in your life. We have to finish this. We have to finish this. We have to persevere. We have to stick it out because we are all each other has. God is calling us to be families that are like that. So let's take on the challenge, step into a new trajectory, live differently as a family, be the warriors that each other needs, be the brothers and sisters that each other needs and that we can lean on in moments like this. We're going to take communion, so I ask the servers to go ahead and, and find their spots. Communion to me is one of those amazing things because I think about food a lot. 
and not in the way that that sounds. Um, I think about food a lot because it's such, a, <laughs> it's such an important part of our lives. And I think about families a lot when I think about food because there are statistics that say kids who grow up in families that eat around the same table, that have frequent family dinners, have less chance of engaging in uh, criminal activity later in their lives. They have less of a chance of experiencing deep clinical depression later in their lives. They feel this foundation. And so it's funny to me when I think, I wonder if God was just thinking and wondering one day, what's the best way I can help people remember who I am? And they said, oh yeah, bread and wine. Get them around the table. Now granted, that would be a very large table for us here today. Get them around the table and remind them whose family they are a part of. Remind them who their brothers and sisters are. Remind them who those azers are in their life, those warriors who will stand beside them. So when we take communion, it's not just about what's getting ready to happen in here. And maybe for you it is. Maybe this is that moment where you decide, I've never decided to follow Jesus ever. This is the first time I'm ever going to make that decision. And maybe that's what you need to do in this moment. And, and I would encourage you to do that. But what I'd also encourage you to do is realize that tray is coming to you. When it comes down, there are two cups inside, a bread in the bottom, juice in the top. Take those and just hold them. We'll all take communions together. But when you hand that tray, someone else is handing you that tray. And that person who's handing it to you is your brother and your sister. They're not just random nameless person who sat down next to me. They're your brother and sister. They may be that warrior that you need in your life. So when you take that tray from them, Realize they're passing it around the table, and God is saying, as you do this, just remember, you guys need each other. You need each other badly. Never forget that. You don't have to be a member of Parkview to take communion with us. Whenever it comes by, if you want to take that, hold it, we'll all take communion together. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for today. Thank you that you renew and restore our families. Thank you for the grace you give us. That when it's hard, when we come from a, a broken family story, you help us write a new story. That when we are struggling to find that person in our, our lives, that warrior, that azer who will stand next to us, you point them out. And I know for some of my friends in this room, they've, they've struggled and they, they, need, <laughs> they need a sign that this could be different. And so I pray specifically for those in this room who are wrestling with broken families that you would give them in the next 24 hours a very specific and very clear picture that things can be better, that they have brothers and sisters who are near to them, who will stand next to them, who will be that warrior that they need. And God, as we take these elements together, remind us, remind us this week as these things go into our bodies, that we carry them with us. Remind us that we have an influence. We have a tribe. We have a family that loves us. And maybe it's just you as our dad, and we have to start there, and that's fine. But let these elements remind us of who we are and the bigger story we're a part of. It's all in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. <laughs>